Thank you for watching this online message from Riverstone Church. We hope that this content encourages you and helps you further develop your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit riverstonechurch.net. There you can learn more about us, view additional messages, submit your prayer needs, and even give online. Thank you for watching, and may the Lord richly bless you. Let's stand together and read the word of the Lord in Isaiah chapter uh, 12. I'd like to share with you, uh, last week we began uh, a series out of Isaiah chapter 12, United in Mission. Uh, continuing that this week, United in Mission, our focus will be on uh, worship. And we'll read together in Isaiah chapter 12, verses 1 through 6. The word of the Lord says to us, Then you will say on that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord. For although you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and song and he has become my salvation. Therefore, you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. And in that day, you will say, Give thanks to the Lord and call on his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples and make them remember that his name is exalted. Praise the Lord in song, for he has done excellent things. Let this be known throughout the earth. Cry aloud and shout for joy, O inhabitant of Zion. For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Once again, Lord, we commit ourselves uh, to your word the scriptures which we believe are God-breathed, inspired by you, authoritative for teaching. We thank you, Lord, that as the scriptures were originally given, they were without error, and that we can stand firm upon the good and precious promises which has been given to us, that as holy men of old were inspired by the Holy Spirit, to write the words of Scripture to us. We receive them today, O Lord, as your word. Your breath is breathed and inspired that we walk them out faithfully before you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for the opportunity that we have today to be in your presence. to know you, to be filled with your spirit, be called to service in your kingdom. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, I ask it. Amen. I have a song in my heart, and I'm looking for people who will help me sing it. <laughs> yeah. Harry, Mike, sing loud and sing proud, okay? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious 
This is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fountain, no. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. One more time. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fountain, no. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Amen. Amen. In Isaiah chapter 12, uh, just sort of to recap uh, from last week, uh, Judah, Israel, as you know, had kind of been split into two kingdoms. Judah was one of uh, those kingdoms, and they were essentially under the chastisement or the discipline of uh, the Lord and had been conquered by Babylon. Uh, And under this oppression of Babylon, there was still the promises of God that existed to them that they were to live in or dwell in the land of, of Israel, that God had promised to Abraham long ago that his offspring would be in the land. And so with the Babylonian captivity, when, uh, when Judah and, and Israel uh, had come under the discipline or the chastisement of the Lord and the Babylonians had come in and taken them out of their homeland, the question then to them was, uh, do these promises really even exist anymore? Are these promises for me? Do these promises mean anything? And what had happened is their hope in God's plan had waned over time. Their hope in God's promises had waned over time. And I think that's a caution to those of us in the church that uh, over centuries of time since the first advent of the Lord and as we pray and as we long and as we seek after the Lord's second uh, coming, we anticipate His return. Sometimes we can just kind of feel like this is the way it's always going to be. Uh, the Lord's really not going to come. We don't really see, you know, all the miracles and things like maybe we saw and we read about in Scripture. And so maybe this whole thing is not really what it's cracked up to be. And that's kind of what happened to Judah is that they sort of began looking to the nations around them and looking to the pagan idols and uh, worshiping other gods and kind of being called after other things because they thought, you know, the promises of God, these really aren't for us anymore. And the, the hope in the Lord and His promises and His redemptive work had begun to wane among the people of God. They sought comfort in idols, and they came under the discipline of the Lord uh, in that time of bondage. But the Word tells us that God had preserved for Himself a 
righteous remnant. And I believe that that is uh, what our role and our purpose as a church, we are to be that righteous remnant of people that do not lose hope in the promises of God, that do not lose hope in the truth of God's scripture, that believe that even though there are times when uh, we don't see things manifest with our eyes, that our heart has been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit and our affections are set upon God in such a way that we hold Fast, the word says, to his good and precious promises. That's what it means to be a remnant. That we don't lose hope in the God of our salvation. We don't lose hope in God's power to move and God's power to transform. And so, in the context of Isaiah chapter 12, there was this exodus out of the ancestral homeland and Babylon was oppressing the people. They were scattered throughout the earth and there was this prophetic message that was spoken to those who were remaining, faith, who were remaining faithful in the midst of what seemed like wickedness all around. You go back to Isaiah chapter 11, it illustrates that very point. And last week we spoke about how God had preserved for himself uh, a remnant. And that as that remnant heard the prophetic voice of uh, the Lord, there was a reaction that stirred up hope within that remnant. So part of the activity of preaching on a regular basis to the congregation of people who are the remnant in our day, part of the activity that we do on a Sunday morning is to continue to stir up hope in the promises of God. This is why I believe that Hebrews cautions us about taking time out of the fellowship of church or moving away from the fellowship of the saints in the church. In fact, it says, as you see that day coming along, press in even more because the world around us is calling and pulling us away. But God is saying, the way you remain faithful is together as a remnant. And so the reaction of God's people was to hope in the redemptive work that was to come. There was a remnant who reacted to the prophetic word. And they believed in the redemption that was to come. And that brings us to Isaiah chapter 12 and verse 4. That on that day of redemption or on that day of the Lord, when the Lord brings back into the land, when the Lord restores you will say, give thanks to the Lord and call on his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples and make them remember that his name is exalted. This is part of a, a wider hymn of, of faith that is out of First Chronicles chapter 16. It's also quoted in Psalm 105, parts of this particular passage. Uh, David used it as he was bringing the Ark of the Covenant back into uh, Jerusalem from the home of Obed-Edom when the 
the, uh, the uh, Ark of the Covenant was coming back into Jerusalem and the rejoicing that was going on, this was a psalm or a hymn of praise unto God for God bringing the Ark back into the place where it was to be. Give thanks to the Lord and call on His name and make known His deeds among the people. Make them remember that His name is exalted. In this chapter 4, there are four particular clauses that describe that reaction of the righteous remnant as they see the salvation of the Lord on display. I think these are four thoughts which I would like us to think about again at the beginning of 20 and 23 as we think about who we are as a fellowship, who we are as a people of God, and why God has called us together. And what are some of the things as part of that righteous remnant in our community and in the world today that the Lord is speaking to us? That first clause, which we'll focus on today, is give thanks unto the Lord. Giving thanks unto the Lord is an act of worship. And this is one of the primary goals of the church. It is to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness, a phrase out of Psalm 96. Where I'd like us to focus our minds and our hearts towards worshiping God. A lot of people have a lot of opinions about what it means to worship God. We talk about in our scheduling of uh, services. Here as a, as a church, we want people to be informed of what your role may be on a Sunday morning if you're part of Uh, the praise team. I want you to practice and think about that if you're an instrumentalist, if you're going to open service and pray and read scripture, maybe take up uh, the offering. If there's an area where someone wants to serve, we try to think about that and not kind of fly by the seat of our pants on a Sunday morning, but to actually think it through and put an order together and think, okay, these are some of the songs that we're going to sing. These are the people that are going to serve. And this is kind of the order that we think. And we can just take this and we can live by this. And uh, we can Say, okay, well, I, I felt like I might should be uh, singing What Can Wash Away My Sins, but it's not on the schedule this morning, and so we're not going to do it. That's not the way we're going to operate. There might be a time when our brother moves into a song that had not been pre-planned, and we're not going to have people walk off the stage because we didn't practice that song. Because part of worship is actually planning to worship God, but it's also being sensitive to God in the moment. But too often in the contemporary church, we have also boiled worship down to music. And worship isn't simply music. Worship isn't simply the songs that we sing or what we play on an instrument. Worship is a lifestyle that you and I must seek to achieve by who we are. That when we rise in the morning, our our rising out of bed, our thoughts should be as an act of worship unto the Lord. When we Think about our, our thoughts as they come to us in the morning, as we kind of wipe in the sleep out of our eye. Our mind ought to be, Lord, I worship you for letting me rise and wake to another day. Lord, I'm thankful this morning that you've given me breath to breathe again, that you've helped me see the light of day again, Lord. I worship you for what you have done. Lord, I worship you this morning when I walk down the steps and I'm able to get something to drink or put a pot of coffee on or have some food. God, thank you for providing for me once again because this could have been a day when I had nothing to eat. 
God, thank you. God, thank you this morning when I'm getting ready and I'm getting ready to go to work and earn a living. Thank you, God, that I have an opportunity in order to provide for my family. God, thank you for a job. God, thank you for a paycheck. God, I worship you for what you have done. I give thanks unto you, Lord Jesus. Too often what we want to do, at least in theological circles, is make a distinction between thanksgiving and worship. You want to truly define uh, worship? One of the better definitions that I've heard of that is our response to God as he has revealed himself to us. Our response unto the Lord as he makes himself known to us. And God makes himself known through his mighty deeds. Yes, we worship him for who he is. We worship him because he is God and he is due worship, no matter what he has done for us, no matter what things he would provide or not provide. He is still due our worship. He is due our worship in the times of plenty, and he is due our worship in the times of famine. He is due our worship when our bank account is full, and he is due our worship when our bank account says zero. He is due our worship when we can put food on the table. And he is due our worship when there's just crumbs in the cupboard. God is due our worship when our health is good and we're running on all cylinders. And God is due our worship when we feel like we can barely get up in the morning. And the beauty of what I've seen in our sister and our brother and our sister and other sisters and brothers in this congregation is that when the health is bad, when you don't feel like it when you didn't think about it and you didn't thought maybe I ought not go this morning. Maybe I shouldn't praise you this morning. Maybe I don't feel like I can get it up out of here. There's people who say, I'm going to force myself to worship God. I'm going to walk in a way in which God is praised and his name is exalted. I'm going to give thanksgiving to him because I know what he has done for me. Praise the Lord. Though the body is weak, though the body is trying to pull it along, I will exalt the Lord. In times of anxiety, in times of pressure, in times of difficulty, realizing that I still have a necessity to give thanks and worship and praise unto God. Never before have we seen in the world the, the increase of anxiety, the increase of depression, the increase of mental illnesses. And I can tell you today that though you may be dealing with a mental illness, you can still lift up a word of praise unto God. You can still exalt the Lord and you can say, well, brother Robert, it doesn't seem like you've ever been in that kind of situation where you've had anxious thoughts. I can tell you I had them last night. I laid on my bed in my own anxious thoughts. I've had them times before and there's a sense of fear that is almost paralyzing in my life. I don't say that as somebody who wants to be confession time this morning, but all I want to tell you this morning is that there is a time even in your life when you don't feel like it that you've got to give praise to God.
In fact, sometimes it is praise that will break you through the times of anxiety. It is worship and exalting the name of the Lord that will move you through the place of difficulty. Too often we want to keep our mouth closed and sit on the sidelines and woe is me and pop whatever uh, essential oil or vitamin or whatever it is and sit back and think and God says to us, lift up praise unto me. I know there's reasons for medications. I know there's things, and those things are all well and good. As God has given wisdom to doctors and researchers and people to figure out all of that stuff. And I can tell you, in the midst of it, lift up praise unto God. Your worship must be unto Him. We give thanks unto the Lord as an act of worship. When we give thanks to him, we think about this passage in Isaiah chapter 4 as I began to study. I think who, who is giving thanks here? Who is the one being called to worship in thanksgiving? And again, the immediate context is that remnant of worshiping people, that remnant who has not become spoiled by the world around them, that remnant of people who are looking after God and longing after Him and longing after His presence. These are the ones who are called to give thanks in worship to Him. This is not a general call for everybody everywhere to give thanks, although that should happen. But in this passage, what is being prophetically shared is those who are in that moment, that remnant of people in the day of redemption, they will come to the Lord and give thanks in worship unto him because God has delivered them. You and I in 20 and 23, if you name the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have come in relationship with Him. He has transformed your affections from the things of this world to the things of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your affections have been changed and you long after the things of the Lord Jesus Christ. What I can tell you this morning is that you have experienced the redemption of the Lord. Yes, while we wait and hope for that heavenly glory, we wait and hope for the sky to split, we wait and hope for Jesus to come back again astride the white steed with King of Kings and Lord of Lords written upon his thigh. We wait and hope for those things. We anticipate those things, but we have the taste of redemption right now. You and I are blessed as a people to be able to experience within our soul, within the spirit man, the taste of what it means to be forgiven of our sins, that our guilt and our iniquity has been purged, that we no longer bear our sin anymore. And so you and I have already tasted the land of deliverance. You and I have already taken a taste of what it means to step into the promised land. This is why for you and I, as a pillar of who we are as a local church, a pillar of who we are as a people of God, worship must be something that is primary to us. It's not a spectator sport. <clears throat> yes, I believe in creating an atmosphere of worship. I believe that there are things that can distract us from worship. I believe that as a 
leadership team, we have a responsibility to try to ensure that as the congregation enters in, that this is a place of worship. That it's not a place where silly things take our attention off of what God wants to do. But when you enter into this place, when you enter into this room, what we were praying about this morning, what brothers and sisters have walked in this place and prayed about this week, is that when you enter this room, your mind begins to be focused and your heart begins to be focused toward the things of the Lord that corporately we come together and worship. The beauty of what happens on a Sunday morning is that as each of us come together and our heart is focused on honoring God in worship, it is not however many people are in here doing their individual thing. It is how many, ever many are in here in unity and in one accord, uniting in praise and worship and honor to God. So though I may be speaking different things with my lips, though I may be praying in different areas at times during worship, with my heart Together, you and I are lifting up one solitary voice unto Jesus in worship. This is why it's important to come prepared. Come with our hearts tuned toward his. Come with our minds focused. And I will tell you, the enemy fights against it, doesn't he? How many spats between husbands and wives happen on Sunday morning? How many kids are hard to pull along on a Sunday morning? I know what it's like in the McCready household. Maybe it's not like that in your household. (laughs) Because the enemy seeks to fight against our minds, draw our attention away. Because there's something that happens when God's people in unity and in one accord come together in God's house. Again, though we may praise differently, though we may worship differently, but it's all done unto God in unity. That's why Ephesians is so key to where we are right now. We cannot afford to break the bonds of unity in this fellowship. So that means sometimes me just getting over myself, getting over my wants, my desires, putting it aside, and when I enter into the room, no matter what is being said, no matter what is being done, I am here for one purpose, and my one purpose is to come in this place and exalt Jesus in hopes that you are exalting Jesus, that together in unity we find a place like they found in Acts chapter 2 where it said in the upper room they were together in one accord and God's mighty powerful spirit visited them and transformed a people that set the world on fire. You see, that's what I'm after. That's what I'm longing for as an assembly coming together on a Sunday morning is that we are in such unity. Our prayers, our thoughts, our worship, our hearts are in such a unity together that God visits us in that Acts 2 way and that we are sent out from this place and we don't care what awaits us on the other side because we're going to tell someone about Jesus. 
remnant. It's called the worship. <clears throat> Church should be in our worship and praise unto God. It should be something that touches the mind. You shouldn't walk out of here after a sermon and say, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. You ought to at least be a little bit intellectually stimulated as you walk out the door. And as I thought about the New Testament and thought about what happened in the New Testament, I asked myself a series of questions. Because what I see in our world today is that so often we're preoccupied with convincing people, and particularly in a younger generation, that God exists. Our apologetic starts with the beginning to say, we want you to know this is why God exists. Look at the created order. There's a, you hear some people say, there's this God void in your heart or whatever, however you're going to frame it. Try to convince people that God exists. And I wondered, did that happen in the New Testament? Was there an apologetic in the New Testament that had to teach people that God existed? Did Peter's mother-in-law, when she was healed, finish and ask the question, does God exist? Did the leper that was healed ask if God existed? Did the woman with the issue of blood ask, is God real? Did the demoniac of Gadara wonder, does God exist and can he deliver? When Peter and John encountered the lame beggar, and he was healed, did they say, did the beggar say, now tell me, Peter and John, does God really exist? There's a reason they didn't ask those questions. There's a reason there didn't have to be an apologetic about those questions. It was because there was a people who were so passionate about God that the power and uh, presence of the Lord Jesus Christ followed them wherever they went. In fact, whenever anyone would come to the apostles or others and say, you know, we're going to worship you or we're going to give you money for what happened. They said, what are you looking at me for? It's not anything I've done. It's not anything I could conjure up. This is all about Jesus. See, this is the place that we can get to when our hearts are tuned to such a way in worship unto God and we're unified in such a way as that righteous remnant to long after the Lord Jesus Christ that where we go, who we encounter, they experience the power of God because we walk in His power. We walk in His fire. We're people who are constantly in worship before Him. <clears throat> we may make the statement, well, God can move whenever he wants to do so. I'm just going to sit here and wait for it. I'm going to sit back and say, Jesus, move whenever you want to move. Do whatever you want to do, Jesus. Whenever you're ready to do it, Lord Jesus, just do it. And I go back and I read 1 Samuel. I read 1 Samuel chapter 3. And I read at the beginning of chapter 3 when it said, The voice of the Lord was infrequent. 
There was an unrighteous priest who had kids that were doing stuff in the temple that was wicked and evil. The people who weren't seeking after the Lord. A little boy, probably 10, 12 in that range, was in the temple. And God says the adults aren't listening. The priest isn't listening. The Levites aren't listening. Nobody's listening. And a little boy, when all the cacophony of the day is gone, when he's laying his head on his mat at night in the temple, he hears a voice, Samuel, he'd never heard the voice of the Lord before. He didn't know what it sounded like, and he got up and he runs to the unrighteous priest, and he says, here I am, you called me. And the guy said, I didn't call you, go lay back down. A second time and a third time, and finally, the unrighteous priest, even in his unrighteousness. And that's a lesson for us today. And I pray that you stand in the righteousness of God. But I would say this as well, you don't have to be a perfect person teach someone else how to hear God's voice. But the unrighteous priest said, I think this is the Lord. He calls to you again, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And this is what happened. The little boy lays down again, and the voice comes again, and the, servant, and the little boy says, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And the Lord begins to tell him, he doesn't say, Samuel, no, I want you to go out and I want you to start preaching in the highways and the byways and you're going to see a mighty revival come, Samuel. He doesn't say that. He doesn't tell Samuel to do one thing, read the story for yourself in 1 Samuel chapter 3. Not one thing does he tell Samuel to do. He doesn't tell him to go anywhere. He doesn't tell him to do anything. He doesn't tell him to pray harder. He doesn't tell him to worship more. He doesn't tell him to do anything. Not one thing. And the boy wakes up. From that experience with the Lord the next morning, and the unrighteous priest says, tell me everything he said to you. And if you withhold anything, I'm going to pray that whatever he spoke to you falls upon you. He had some kind of idea what going to be good. And Samuel begins to tell Eli that God's going to judge his house. And he's not going to have an old man in his house forever because of his right, unrighteousness. Eli discerns it's the voice of the Lord, and at the end of chapter 3, the Scripture say, says to us, all of Israel from Dan until Beersheba knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet unto the Lord. And what did that little boy do? He didn't preach to the masses. He didn't start a church. He didn't start a parachurch. He didn't go on a missions trip. He didn't do anything except listen. He listened. And just by a young boy who is willing to do what the adults wouldn't do and listen to God, God started speaking again. God started moving again. God started shaking his people again. God started transforming things again. 
And so when we talk about a righteous worshiping remnant who is in the presence of the Lord, who give thanks unto the Lord, there is a need for some people who are listening to the voice of God. And as we simply listen to the voice of God, I believe that God will begin stirring. John 4 and 23, Jesus says, Yet the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is looking for people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. He says this to the woman at the well who's a Samaritan. Jesus shouldn't even have been at the well that day. He should not have even been talking to that woman. And she wants to talk about theological things. Where should we worship over here? Should we worship over there? You say this, we say this. Who's right? And Jesus cuts to the heart and says, let me not tell you about that because you won't understand that. Let me tell you about you. Let me tell you about who you are. Let me tell you about where you've been. Let me tell you about the direction that you've had. Let me talk to you about some of that because God is looking for someone who is willing to worship him in spirit and in truth. And young lady sitting here beside me because you come in the middle of the day where no one else is willing to come because you don't want to be of scorn and ridicule. She was probably someone who had a lot of different experiences that we don't like to talk about in church. <clears throat> and Jesus says, God's looking for someone and he's looking for those who are going to worship him in spirit and in truth. And she has an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And what does she do? What does her, what does her encounter with Jesus do? Oh, Jesus, now that you've told me these things about myself, now will you tell me the answer about where I'm supposed to worship? He encountered her in a heartfelt way, in a transformative way, in a moment. And she runs back where she was probably embarrassed before, where she was probably shunned before. And she brings a whole horde of people back with her. And she says, come see a man. Come see a man who told me everything I had ever done. And the disciples are looking around and kind of they get there and they wonder what's going on. And Jesus says, as the crowd's coming, the fields are white unto harvest. Don't you see? The harvest is coming right at us. People theorize about what went on in that moment. Theologians think about the time and place and they say what could have happened and what may have transpired in that time is that as the woman was coming with the people following her and the sun sort of shining in their garments, kind of white bleached out from the sun and the Lord looks with the disciples seeing people coming and Jesus is saying, I've got food that you don't know about. I've got food that I'm feasting on that you don't understand and I want you to know that the fields are white unto harvest. The food is ripe to take and eat. A transformative moment with the Lord. This is what we pray for as we encounter him in worship. The children of Israel were called to give thanks and worship for the redemptive acts of the Lord. And there is a joy of being 
in the land of promise and seeing the promises of God fulfilled. And it presents to us an opportunity for us to give thanks to Him. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, In Him, in the Lord Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. When Isaiah talks about in that day, you will give thanks unto the Lord, what I want to affirm to you again as part of this message is that you and I are in that day. And the way you know that you are in that day is because the Holy Spirit witnesses that you are part of God's kingdom within your heart. And so you and I are able even in this life to worship freely as unto the Lord When my mother passed away, there was a certain arrangement for her last effects. And then my father, we all felt like my father would be the first one to pass out of the two of them, which goes to tell you you never know what will happen. We're not guaranteed of tomorrow. And so my dad thought it. My brother and I thought it. My mother thought it. Everybody thought my dad would be the first one. Uh, to pass with his health. Uh, he had some health challenges and other things going on. And so when my mother passed and things were different than what everybody thought, my dad had to work through some things and kind of change some things around. And so he redid his will. He reorganized how things were going to happen at his death. And so as we were walk, working through that particular process, there was a document that was executed. And that document is there in order to tell those who are left behind what to do with the effects that he owns, that he has. So for my brother and I, there awaits an inheritance according to legal document. While we don't own it yet, we don't have possession of it yet, Legally, at a certain point in time, that document will be fully executed and we will inherit our, my, our father's estate. This is the same way which you and I have our anticipation, the glory with the Lord Jesus Christ in time to come. The Holy Spirit is that affirmation that sure, secure document that will never have to face a legal challenge, that will never have to walk through court, that deposit of the Holy Spirit within our life affirms to us that you and I will step into, if we are in Christ, we will step into the portals of glory, whether it be through death, whether it be through rapture, whatever way the Lord chooses to take us. If we are in Christ, my sister, if we are in Christ, my brother, if we are in Christ, we have the assurance by the affirmation of the Holy Spirit that you and I one day will step into heavenly glory and with our eyes, as Job says, we will look upon our Redeemer. 
I have that assurance this morning. I walk in that assurance this morning. I don't have to wonder, will I be saved? I don't have to wonder if I'm going to go out and get in a car wreck today. If something's going to happen, will I make it on into heaven? I have a deposit of the Holy Spirit that says to me with assurance, according to the promise of Scripture, that should something happen to this body today, that this spirit man will instantly find itself in the presence of my Savior, that I will look upon him with my own eyes and not another, that I will see him in all of his glory. I have that hope today based upon the work of the Spirit right here. And so with that affirmation, with that promise, I don't have to wait to step into the glories of heaven in order to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. I don't have to wait and think, oh, what's it going to be like on that day? What's it going to be like on that day when I'm able to worship him in the way in which I think it's going to happen? Because I don't think it's even entered into our mind what it's going to be like in that day. But what I can do today is anticipate what it means to be in right relationship with my Savior. I can anticipate today. I know, I know. I know some of you in high school were probably called like the squares or something. Does anybody know what that means? <laughs> no, younger generation don't know. <laughs> Kind of being square was like, you know, you kind of like the wallflower. I don't think there's going to be anybody who's going to be square in glory. There's an old song that says something about, I want to go to Jesus and shake his hand. I can tell you, I'm not going to be looking to shake my Savior's hand. Scripture never says anything about shaking my Savior's hand. What Scripture says is that I'm going to fall down and I'm going to cry holy, holy, holy. I'm going to sing with the heavenly creatures. I'm going to sing with the saints and the angels. And I'm going to uh, praise him with the apostles and those who are the elders who are up in the heavenly glory. And then I'm going to be in the midst of every nation, tribe and tongue. John says he saw him. John says he saw him in the heavenly glory in the book of Revelation. Every nation, tribe and tongue. And what that tells me when you get into heavenly glory, you're not going to lose your color. You're not going to lose your language. There's going to be people praising in Spanish. There's going to be people praising in other languages. There are going to be people exalting Jesus. There's going to be a heavenly glory in which people will be worshiping and exalting the Lord. And if that's going to happen there, the deposit of the Holy Spirit tells me I can worship with that freedom right here. I can worship with that anticipation right here. Give thanks unto the Lord. Give thanks unto the Lord. Worship Him in the company of His saints. Exalt Him in this place this morning. Let's stand together and let's offer our hearts unto Him. We must be a church. We must be a place that welcomes the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Where there is a freedom here to worship. That we're not looking out the side of our eye at somebody who might be dancing a little bit and thinking, well, they shouldn't be doing that in church. I would say with David who said, I will be more undignified than this. I will be in God's presence and I will be more undignified because I know what he has done for me. I know of his power. I know of his grace. I know where I'm headed. I will not hold back. I will not step back, but I will worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Lord Jesus, we pray this morning. Lord, we pray for your presence. And Lord, we pray and we once again consecrate this place to be a worshiping community.
We give thanks unto you. Because we know you. You have redeemed us. You have taken our guilt away. We no longer bear our iniquities any longer, but the blood that our Lord Jesus Christ shed upon Calvary's cross, that was the punishment for my sin. That was the punishment for this congregation's sin. The curse of Adam and Eve in the garden. In that day when you eat of this fruit, you shall surely die. Spiritually, immediately the promise came to pass. The fellowship with God was broken. Their bodies began to follow. The physical body began to follow. And what was not originally intended came to the earth, and that was death. And the second Adam came, and his name was Jesus. And he lived upon this earth. And his works were recorded by holy men of old. They were put in the scriptures for our benefit. The holy men of old who laid eyes upon him in the gospels. Who saw his work, who saw his deeds. Through the power of the Holy Spirit you breathed upon them. To write the words of scripture. Throughout the ages, these scriptures have been passed down from one generation to the next, to the next, to the next. And now we are the inheritors of good and precious promises. And one of those promises Is that there was a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains so God this morning we stand upon that promise that as sinners who have been plunged beneath that precious flood, we have been washed, we are clean, we are free, and we can worship you in spirit and in truth. You're looking. The eyes of the Lord are going to and fro. So I pray this morning, Lord Jesus, that you will once again move upon your people, affirming to us that one of our primary tasks as a gathered assembly is to give thanks in worship to you.
And so, Lord, in these next few moments, we do just that.